BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. There's a lot of construction happening around here, but these buildings look so new. I'm walking down a hill at Hunters Point in San Francisco, past some newly built housing and toward the old Navy shipyard by the bay. These old warehouses, broken windows, chipped paint on the top. I'm here to meet Chris Roberts. He's an investigative journalist who's been writing stories for almost three years now about what's been going on here. So I parked up here on the hill because I drove over here. So you parked in what used to be Parcel A. So you parked in an area that's never been fully scanned for radiological contamination. The Navy did some wild things here. Serious cleanup is needed. And some of it's been done, but recent reports show past soil testing of this land was faked. And now there's suspicion that it's dangerous to live at Hunters Point. Last week, a group of Bayview Hunters Point residents filed a $27 billion lawsuit claiming health problems because of the toxic site. Today, what is going on at Hunters Point? I'm Erica Aguilar. Welcome to the Bay. For two hours, Chris Roberts showed me around Hunter's Point. We must have walked, I don't know, two miles looking at the remnants of the Navy shipyard. This was the San Francisco Naval Shipyard uh, from 1939 until 1974. This is one of the major ship repair facilities on the West Coast. There, there, and there was where the biggest ships in the U.S. Navy would be able to uh, come in and... Uh, and be worked on. So aircraft carriers, battleships, the biggest boats we had. These were excess warships that the Navy would uh, park off of islands. They would set off a hydrogen bomb and then essentially see what would happen. They were then towed here to be decontaminated. And the decontamination process consisted of workers sandblasting the decks and the hulls, uh, and then depositing that sandblast waste here at the base, either in a landfill as part of a landscaping project, or in some cases just deposited in uh, big piles, open-air piles. This is one way radioactive waste pollutes the shipyard. There's also radium, another radioactive element. Radium was still a regularly seen and used material uh, to get something to glow in the dark. And so the Navy used it to have gauges, dials, deck markers, and other 
sort of run-of-the-mill features on ships uh, glow in the dark. When a ship would pull into the shipyard, however, the Navy had a nasty habit of losing these things. They would fall into the dry dock, they would fall near the dry dock, they would be thrown into the landfill, and so radium-226 is another one of the elements that, according to the whistleblowers as well, was found not just in the lowlands, in the landfill, uh, or in the areas of the shipyard that have yet to, to be clean, but also up on the hill. In the mid-1940s, military scientists ran nuclear warfare tests at a secret research lab at Hunters Point, not very far from where the shipyard was. Then you see that windowless building? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, has, it just looks like a brick Lego. That's the lab. That's the lab. They had a particle accelerator there. They stored plutonium, uranium in shielded caves. They injected animals with this stuff to see what would happen. Animals, like donkeys, with radioactive material to see what happens to living tissue. Yeah. It looks innocuous, but um, now that I know... I think it looks freaky. The crazy research lab closed in 1969 and the Navy ended shipyard operations in 1974. But they leased the docks to a private ship repair company called AAA Machine Shop. The shipbuilding company AAA also dumped a lot of uh, toxic uh, materials here. Paints, solvents, anything, uh, petroleum byproducts, anything that you could think that was associated with shipbuilding or ship repair, which is a lot of, frankly, nasty uh, industrial chemicals. And it was a whistleblower that called them out around 1986. This company has been dumping chemicals Ill- illegally. That case was locked up in litigation for almost a decade. And in, in the end, the shipbuilding company only paid a settlement to the city of San Francisco of $1.1 million. Chris says no one really knows how much radioactive and chemical waste was dumped at Hunter's Point, partly because the Navy kept shoddy records. But there was enough toxic stuff to earn the site a super fun declaration. Um, so in 1989, the EPA then declares right. this whole place a super fun mm-hmm. site. And I'm guessing that's a lot of what's over there. That's right. Um, can we go see that? Sure. Okay. There's so much work going on around here. Tell me, what is this Superfund site, and um, what's significant about the declaration in 1989 of this place? The Superfund list is, is a list of the most toxic and most contaminated sites in the United States. And they're saying that, okay, these are the areas that we definitely need to get cleaned up in order for it to be reused, or in order for the existing population around uh, and the environment uh, to be safe. So it's sort of like a, it's both a to-do list and sort of a warning list. The 450 acres of the former military base needed a deep toxic cleanup before it could be redeveloped. The deal is that the Navy is supposed to clean it up or clean it up to enough, clean it up to this standard. And once that's done, the Navy could hand over the cleaned up land to the city of San Francisco, which during the 1990s was eager to build housing. So the remediation work gets started. And a series of contractors are hired by the Navy to clean it all up, to scan it and to see if it's dirty, and if it is, to get it clean enough for redevelopment. This is when the Navy turns to Tetra Tech, 
a contracted environmental engineering firm headquartered in Pasadena. Another entity of TetraTech called TetraTech EC received a contract totaling about $300 million to scan and clean much of the very dirty parts of the base. Okay. The Navy actually first noticed that something was wrong in 2011 and 2012 when it looked at the data that TetraTech was uh, producing and they realized something was off. TetraTech was allowed at first by the Navy to investigate itself. Like meaning, hey, go and figure out what's, what you're doing wrong. What's like wrong we, with we your see data. something's wrong. Yeah, something's wrong with your data. Please tell us what's wrong with it and fix, fix it. it. <laughs> exactly. TetraTech comes back with a report that says, yes, we did identify a couple dozen anomalous soil samples, but they were all the doing of one worker and one supervisor. This is not something that we had any knowledge or involvement in. We have disciplined everyone involved and we've trained everyone else to not do this. Literally part of the agreement was this ethics training to not fake a, a cleanup at a Superfund site. The Navy looks at this and says, okay, good. Good enough for us. Okay. Back to work. Then the whistleblowers came forward and said, no, that's not the case at all. Like this, this is not this limited. It's systemic. Is, this is systemic. According to these whistleblowers, supervisors are telling them to essentially fake the cleanup. They're saying, don't use that dirt that we know is from an area that's dirty. Use that dirt from over there that we know is clean. You When you say use that dirt, you mean use them, that dirt in testing? That's right. Okay. They ran equipment over areas too quickly in order for that equipment to get uh, an actual reading. They just cut and pasted big blocks of data in an Excel spreadsheet that showed stuff was clean. So they essentially... No, really? Several different ways they just made stuff up. Yeah. With the whistleblower information and knowing TetraTech used questionable methods, the Navy looked for an outside consultant to review the work. They hire another series of, of uh, contractors to look at TetraTech's data, to look at all of TetraTech's data. They review and they come back and they say, the whistleblowers are right. We think roughly half of what TetraTech has done shows signs of fraud and, and can't be trusted. So half of the work is either like fixed or fraud <laughs> or just completely wrong? Well, then the EPA, though, then looks at that same data and says, no, actually, we think it's closer to 95 to 97%. Oh my gosh, then all of the work is wrong. What was your reaction when you found that? I couldn't believe it. Uh, I thought there was a problem. Uh, we, well, we knew there was a problem. The question was just how big it is. And all the while, new housing had been going up near the Superfund site on a piece of land that's become a character of its own, Parcel A. San Francisco officials had big housing plans for Parcel A, which was deemed cleaned and safe and handed over to the city in 2004. Development broke ground in 2013, and today there are about 300 housing units on top of Hunters Point and a lot of construction underway. But there is growing suspicion over just how clean and safe is Parcel A. Because while the Navy and the EPA said past tests for radiation turned up negative, it was done with a so-called scanner van. So the scanner van came here for over a three-day period in 2002. And it sort of looks like an ice cream truck. 
with like an air conditioned office inside and some scanning equipment uh, to look for uh, gamma rays and things like that. But the scanner van didn't find any contamination on parcel A. The bad news is that when the scanner van went down to the rest of the base, it didn't find any contamination there either in areas that we now know to be contaminated. The equipment's not that sensitive, but also it's, it's a van. It rides on roads. It doesn't go into buildings. It doesn't go on a soil. It can really only find big amounts of radiation in limited areas. What were people who were living nearby or even working on the shipyards? Did they complain of any health ailments or symptoms? Did they have any idea that uh, some of the radioactive waste was hurting them? The thing is, is that it's really difficult to isolate one source of any kind of health complication. It is absolutely true that according to data, uh, there were higher than average incidences of cancer here higher than average incidences of asthma, higher than average incidences of heart disease. But the thing you have to remember is that this was not the only source of pollution in Hunter's Point. For decades, neighbors complained, but were hardly heard. If you were a neighborhood activist trying to stand in, in, trying to stand in the way of this, like an, an analogy is not bad. It's one person against like an aircraft carrier. I mean, just the massive force, massive momentum against you. Well, thank you for meeting me out here and taking me on this tour. Yeah, yeah, uh, my pleasure. Last week, the Federal Justice Department announced that two former supervisors who worked for Tetra Tech had pleaded guilty to falsifying documents. On Monday, San Francisco supervisors will hold a hearing about the complicated toxic history at Hunter's Point, while construction continues on Parcel A, and residents and activists call for retesting of the site. Now, we've only scratched the surface of this story, the basics. There's so much more detail and history. You can find out more by following Chris Roberts' reporting about the contamination at Hunter's Point. He often writes for Curbed SF or follow him on Twitter. He's at CBloggy. The Bay is produced by Vinnie Tong, hosted by Devin Kadiyama. We got a huge assist this week from producer Jessica Placek. Our senior editors are Julia McAvoy, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. The Bay is a podcast production of KQED, listener-supported public radio in San Francisco. If you're enjoying the podcast, share it with a friend, support KQED, or subscribe. And just keep listening. We're really glad you're here. I'm Erica Aguilar. You've been listening to The Bay. You know how you have those friends who seem to know everyone and have cool connections to interesting people? Well, those are my friends, Marisa Lagos and Scott Schaefer. They're the host of KQED's weekly podcast called Political Breakdown. This week, they're talking to Democratic operative Gil Duran. He's giving them the inside scoop about navigating the sometimes treacherous world of politics. Don't miss that conversation. Catch it by subscribing to Political Breakdown wherever you found this podcast. Amazing. Can you imagine like these big hulking like ships coming in? The thing you have to remember is that. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S.